Welcome to this episode of Beads Podcast, a weekly reflection on church history with Dr. Michael A.G. Haken. Dr. Haken serves as the chair and professor of church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is on the core faculty of Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. He's also a fellow of the Royal Historical Society in recognition of his contributions to historical scholarship. Join us now as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people. So Augustine uh, wrote probably three key books that need to be remembered today, especially. Uh, The first of them is his Confessions, which was written at the end of the 390s. And so Augustine at this point had been a Christian about a dozen years. And um, the book basically... Um, looks at his life from his birth all the way up till his um, return to North Africa after his conversion and baptism. His conversion, as we saw last week, taking place in 386, his baptism 387. And then um, he is in the uh, a kind of a retreat center in uh, Kasikiakum, which is in northern Italy, uh, for about a year. And then in 388 returns to, to North Africa. And at that point, the uh, narrative of his life concludes. And the last few chapters deal with subjects like uh, memory and how is it that we remember things and um, what, what, what is the interpretation of Genesis 1 to 3, uh, a question that Augustine had wrestled with for a long time. And um, so the final uh really four chapters, uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13, are no longer a narrative of Augustine's conversion, but are looking at larger questions that Augustine Augustine obviously felt were germane to what God had done in his life. Uh, God's activity in eternity past, as well as how do we remember uh, uh, things from our own past? And um, how does that, how does that, help us understand God's grace in our life. Uh, the work is not really an autobiography. Um, to, to, to think of it in that regard would fail, would really to fail to understand what Augustine is doing in the book. Uh, the book is a prayer um, from beginning to end. It's, it's, a, it's a response to God's grace and mercy on the part of a man who has known himself to be a sinner and who would never have come to God, he realizes, unless God had sought him. And that that seeking has been demonstrated in the, uh, the incarnation and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the uh, book then really kind of circles around probably three major themes. Uh, the first one is human sin. And uh, Augustine has come to realize that the major stumbling block for him was not intellectual, which he had always imagined it had been the case up until his conversion. He had seen his uh, intellectual queries regarding Christianity, that Christianity, in his mind, could not answer uh, the origin of evil. The explanation of Genesis 1 uh, to 3, the nature of the fall, and so on. He felt that Christianity's answers to these questions were as inadequate, and there must be a a richer, deeper philosophical answer. Um, He comes to realize that really the the central problem in his life was not so much 
uh, intellectual as um, volitional and effective. That he, it was his will that was in bondage. Uh, the reason why he could not accept that the answers given us to regarding the origin of evil are in some ways uh, provisional ones. They're, they're ones that, um, yes, they don't completely answer every query we have, but we must accept them in faith that, and um, really kind of uh, seek to live out a life of faith, which recognizes that some questions do not get fully answered in this life. But the real problem to that was an aversion to God and an aversion to holy things and a refusal to come to God uh, in humility. And um, so his conversion really kind of opens up the door to the depth of human sin, which he would not have wanted to recognize beforehand and would have thought that maybe the central problem in his life was ignorance, a lack of knowledge. So that's one theme. A second theme is that God is ever the seeker. Uh, left, to, left to themselves, humanity will never seek God, the true, true and living God. But God has to come and seek us. And so Augustine is able to, sh to, to see, as he looks now back at his life in hindsight, he's able to see a multitude of ways in which God was active in his life long before he ever embraced the gospel. Um, he sees God's hand guiding him, for instance, to Carthage, and then from Carthage, uh, ultimately to Rome, and from Rome to Milan. And the uh, problems that he had encountered, for instance, falling ill in Rome, um, his students not paying their fees in Rome, these were all means that God used to ultimately bring him to that garden in Milan, where he was confronted uh, with the gospel and was converted. And then thirdly, the cent third central theme is that the means by which God sought us was himself. He is not only the end of our seeking, but he's also the means by which we attain that end. And that, uh, that means, ultimately, is uh, Jesus Christ. That It's the incarnation uh, by which Augustine comes to realize uh, God's seeking him out and God's seeking out every sinner. And um, so it's, it's Christ who is the way by which God reclaims sinners, overcomes their volitional and affectional uh, aversion to, go, to himself and uh, draws them uh, to himself. So those are really the great three great themes uh, of the book. And um, uh, it, it obviously has much autobiographical material in it, but it's really... Um, it's a, a work of spirituality. It's a work of, of uh, spiritual and theological reflection on the nature of conversion and, the, and, the, and human nature. So even before he begins to be involved in what we call the Pelagian controversy, for example, he has already worked out in his mind that God and God alone is sovereign in our salvation. And the, the depth of human sin prevents us responding to God as we should do. Um, if we were in our right mind. The second book is On the Trinity, which almost immediately after finishing the Confessions, Augustine begins to write in 399 and spends uh, the next really two decades working on. It's a very, very different type of book. It is a, a defense of the central dogma of the Christian faith, the, the doctrine that God is three in one, that the God whom we encounter in Scripture 
is none other than the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is really kind of Augustine's response to the ongoing Arian controversy that is still rumbling around. Um, in many ways, it's been settled in the East, but in the West, you still have, uh, it's a live issue. Uh, the Visigoths who sacked Rome and would eventually end up in Spain um, were uh, Arians. And so uh, Augustine was confronted uh, with actual Arians. It's not simply a, a bookish uh, response to the Arian controversy um, 20 or so years after it's been settled at 381, but it's still an ongoing issue for Augustine in the Latin West. And essentially the vision that Augustine puts forward of the triune God is, is that of the Cappadocian fathers, uh, that the, the three persons of the Godhead um, share to the full the deity they are all essentially God, that the full essence of the Godhead comes to the Son by way of generation, eternal generation. Eternal generation then is the way by which we distinguish the persons of the Father and the Son. It does not mean for Augustine, as it didn't mean for any of the the upholders of Nicene Trinitarianism, it did not mean that the Son is subordinate eternally to the Father. Um, to argue that eternal generation indicates eternal functional subordination is to completely misunderstand what Augustine and the other fathers like the Cappadocians and Athanasius are, are arguing in using that term. That term indicates that the entirety of the, of, of the deity that is in the Father comes to the Son by way of eternal generation. And uh, for the spirit, it's by way of uh, eternal spiration or the procession of the spirit. And so these, these uh, Augustine is, is contrary to the way that he has been understood down through the history of the church uh, in some quarters, especially in the 20th century. Um, Augustine is very clear on the, the distinctive uh, modes of existence that the three persons have that distinguish them from one another. And um, thus he is very clearly Trinitarian. Uh, there has been a charge made in the 20th century that he, he borders on Unitarianism because these, these modes of distinction are not, are not to the forefront for Augustine, but they are. Um, the one thing he does uh, emphasize that is somewhat unique is that the, the Holy Spirit in his person is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is none other than the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father. And this has been accused of depersonalizing the Spirit. This has been accused of not taking seriously the distinction that I've already just indicated um, that uh, preserve the threeness of the Godhead. But I think Augustine uh, is right to recognize, uh, number one, that the Son's relationship to the Father in eternity past was love. That's why Augustine would argue First John talks about God as love. He is loved because he loves and is loved by his son. And uh, it would be difficult to talk about God as love if there were no object for his love in eternity past. It would also be difficult to talk about God as love uh, to emphasize that uh, human creation or angelic creation or the universe in general was needed 
uh, for God's love because that would make God dependent upon something other than himself. And so Augustine emphasizes that the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son, that the experience of God by the believer then, a la Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that the believer participates in this divine love between the Son and the Father, um, and the Father and the Son, which is none other than the Holy Spirit. Uh, this also provides uh, later writers with a way of defending what we call the filioque, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, because it's not simply the Father's love for the Son, but it's also the Son's love for the Father. So the Holy Spirit uh, is both. And thus, Augustine really is defending there what we call what would eventually be called the filioque, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So it's a, it's a very profound book. Um, early, probably about two-thirds of the way through, a portion of the book was uh, stolen and copied, and Augustine was furious about that um, and threatened to, to discontinue the entire project if that portion was not returned to him. And this was because Augustine would often, in his dictating of the text, to stenographers or tachygraphers, as they would be called in Greek, would cite scripture from memory, and then later it would, would go back and have those scripture texts um, um, confirmed by examination or comparison with the actual biblical text. And uh, Augustine had yet to do this, and thus he was concerned that something would be issued in his name as his work, which had not been thoroughly uh, proofread, as we would say today. And then the third book is the, his theology of history, his apologetic for the Christian faith over against the pagans uh, with regard to history, with regard to history particularly as it relates to the fall of the Roman Empire. And after the sack of Rome in August of 410, Augustine felt compelled to write a theodicy in which he justified the ways of God uh, to God's people, but also an apologetic to the pagans who claimed that the fall of Rome was the, the result of, of basically Christians being in power and that the gods were angry. And that led, um, that theodicy and apologetic led to a full-blown theology of history where Augustine lays out the importance of recognizing that history is linear, it is going somewhere, um, it cuts across nations. There is no such thing as a Christian Roman Empire, which was Augustine's big quarrel with a lot of, of his fellow Christians who argued that the, the kind of apex of history was the Christianization of the Roman Empire, and that once it fell, then history would be over. Um, history then was bound up significantly with, with the, um, the evangelization of the Roman Empire, and the Christian Roman Empire was the end result. And Augustine has little time for that sort of Roman Christian nationalism, if you want to describe it that way, to use a current kind of phrase. Uh, for Augustine, there are only two cities to which men can belong. Uh, one is the city of God, which is marked by love for God and humility. And uh, then the city of man, or what he sometimes calls the city of the devil, which is marked by human pride and domination and aggression. Um, 
And um, it's a very profound theology of history. Uh, along the way, Augustine takes numerous rabbit trails, so to speak, uh, in which he talks about things like, um, uh, do angels have gender? Uh, why do we bury the dead and don't cremate the dead? Um, and and uh, these, these add a, a richness to the book. Um, it would create all kinds of problems today uh, for a publisher. Um, but in that day, um, it gives us a fullness to Augustine's thought, which is very helpful. And um, essentially, his vision of history is that of the middle, well, for the next thousand years, you really have to go all the way down to the Puritans in the 1600s before you start to find a number of authors who have a post-millennial a view of history, and then obviously the emergence of premillennialism in the uh, 20th and 19th century uh, poses another challenge to Augustine's thought, which is amillennial in, in, in emphasis. Uh, what resources would you recommend for those wanting to learn more about Augustine? Yes, again, um, th this is just is a huge field because um, it's estimated that every, every year there are somewhere in the vicinity of probably 400 to 500 articles and books written on Augustine in all the various languages of the world, but the majority of them being in English, uh, French, and German. So that, that's a, that's, that's a, this is a massive amount of material. And um, in terms of books, probably the standard biography of Augustine is Peter Brown. It's scholarly, it's academic. It's critical of Augustine in parts, but it's, it's generally thought as the best. Um, it was published um, more than uh, 40 years ago now, but it's still regarded as kind of the gold standard. There is a recent biography brought, brought out by Christian Focus uh, by a scholar named Brad Green, who teaches at Union University in Memphis, Tennessee. And it would be um, a very accessible um, shorter biography. And then even shorter than that is one by Gary Wills, published uh, by Penguin Books in their kind of short biography series of famous figures. Um, very few footnotes, and again, a very easy read, which gives the overall, overall contours of Augustine's life. So those will be books on his, um, on his life. There is uh, obviously critical for, for reading Augustine is to read him, read the, 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 the theologian himself. And there, uh, there is a series of new translations being done by New City Press based in New York, which is uh, a series called Augustine for the 21st Century. And they, they have an ambitious agenda to translate all of Augustine. There are still about five or six books of Augustine that have never been translated into English. And uh, so this set, I understand, will encompass all of the Augustinian works. Um, and they've done a fair amount of his sermons, his confessions, his book on the Trinity already. Uh, there is a hardback version and then a paperback version of, of, some, of the, some of the publications in this series. Well, before we finish uh, our series on Augustine, Dr. Haken, if there is one way in which Augustine has impacted you the most, what area would that be in? That's a difficult question because the three books I mentioned earlier have all impacted my thinking in a number of ways. 
um, his vision of the Trinity, which is very much that of the Cappadocians, but with certain different nuances, I find immensely attractive. And I thought, find uh, theologically uh, viable, um, namely the emphasis on the, um, the filioque and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit as the bond of love between the Father and the Son. Um, his confessions, I come back to again and again, because again, uh, I tend to read it now as a book of spirituality, uh, not simply finding out details of Augustine's life, but a book on how the Christian, how the Christian is to think about his life or her life, um, how they're to remember th their lives. Um, and um, I think the, the affective emphasis in the book, the emphasis on the affections, I think uh, salutary. And um, I tend to view it as, as a really kind of a solid uh, perspective on a very, very important topic in the Christian life. And then his theology of history, um, I think has taken on much more deeper meaning for me since an event like 9-11. Um, and then recent events in the course of Western culture and civilization. Um, I think Augustine would have us uh, recognize that as Christians, we're pilgrims. And that this earth is not our home, ultimately. And that none of the earthly institutions that we, we love and prize are going to last forever. But his kingdom will indeed last forever. And uh, the people in that kingdom um, from many different uh, nations and ethnic groups and tribes and uh, tongues um, are, are eternal beings for whom Christ died. And uh, therefore, these things should have prior priority and primacy in our thinking and in our lives. So I think the uh, City of God has helped me think through the nature of history and um, also at the same time helped me develop an understanding of spirituality and at the same time given me uh, rudiments for a political theology because Augustine emphasizes the importance of, the, of, of humility as a foundation for governance and uh, humility needs to characterize those who are, who are leading uh, in power. So all three of the books I think are major takeaways for me and uh, another reason why I, I mentioned the three at the beginning of our, our podcast. Beads Podcast is in partnership with H&E Publishing, a reformed and Canadian publishing house seeking to spread the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through the publication of church history, biblical spirituality, Christian living, and theology. Join us next time as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people.